0: The legend of Cayman Jack is just around the corner with blue agave nectar, real lime juice, and cane sugar. Discover legendary tastes with America's number one margarita. Premium flavored
1: malt beverage. Please drink responsibly. All registered trademarks used under license by American Vintage Beverage Company, Chicago, Illinois.
2: Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs
0: Welcome to True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me as always is a man that just told me if there were more food and fewer people, this would be the perfect party. He is the captain.
3: Get your hands out of my buffalo chip dip. It's good to be seen, and it's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling your cousin. Today we are drinking
0: 7th Sun American Strong Ale, garage grade 4 and 3 quarter bottle caps out of 5. American Strong Ale is a precise blend of 7 hops that go into the dry hopped process. The outcome? I love the hint of grapefruit, the stone fruit hop aroma, and the rich red malt backbone. And this week's beer was brought to us by these good friends of the show right here. First, cheers to Kaylee, in Parma, Ohio.
3: And a big cheers to Catherine in Weatherford, Texas. And
0: how about a We Like Your Jib to Alley? in Calgary, Alberta, Canada.
3: And a big shout-out to Mary and Jacob in Johnson City, Tennessee. And here's a
0: double cheers to Taylor and Kirsten from New Brunswick, Canada. And last but not least, we have Sarah in Central Oregon. So thanks to everybody for going to TrueCrimeGarage.com and helping us fill up the fridge for this week's shows. If you want to help us out with next week's shows, just click on the donate button.
3: And if you'd like to check out our old episodes, download the Stitcher app. And check out our bonus show on Stitcher Premium called Off the Record. It gets a little hairy in dicey. The garage. <laughs> a little dicey. Nick drops F-bombs. If you'd like to hear that, download the Stitcher app and check us out on Stitcher Premium Off the Record. And that's enough of the business.
0: That's right, everybody. Gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. So we should probably just jump right into some of the possible theories here, right? So one of the theories that we discussed when we covered the case back in 2016 was the possibility that somehow Brian did leave the bar without being seen, without his friends seeing him, decides to walk home. Now, mind you, this could be at 3 a.m. on a weekend. And this area, its while it's not a bad area, it's certainly better today than it was back then. I wouldn't label it like a crime-ridden trouble area. However, it's, you know, there there are a lot of smart people that say nothing good happens after 2 a.m. And so one of the theories that we kicked around when we discussed this was the possibility of, and this is a pretty simple theory, that he leaves the bar and during the course of that six blocks walking home, somebody, he he's either involved in some type of altercation with someone or... Him walking alone, and and I want to point something out here. I'm I'm not an expert at many things, but I am an expert at drinking. And I do believe from the footage that I saw of him outside of the ugly tuna that night, I believe him to be quite intoxicated. And therefore, him being by himself, walking alone in the dark, visibly intoxicated, he's an easy target for someone if you just want to rob somebody real quick. And so one thought and theory that we kicked around was that could this have been a robbery that went bad or a fight that went wrong? Somehow he's killed or snatched up and pulled into a vehicle. The likely scenario of disposing of the body might be one of the many dumpsters that are throughout that entire area. So we kicked that around for a little bit when we discussed this case in 2016. It seems pretty plausible, but again, we have the issue of him getting out of the bar.
4: Yeah, without knowing where the surveillance uh, camera frames are as far as the 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 screen, you know, he would have had he almost would have had to have accidentally not appeared in those surveillance uh, videos. But I do I do think uh, the chance that he got jumped if he was able to get out of there and not picked up on surveillance, I think think that's possible.
1: Absolutely. So the scenario that you're presenting is that he's walked a bit of a distance away from the ugly tuna because we have to get away from any cameras that are on buildings to pick up any sort of activity involving a mugging or him being snatched up and pulled into a car. So, yeah, I could see that happen. I could see where someone or some buddies would be driving and following him briefly before making a quick decision to pull him in the car, clearly drunk, and we're going to see what we can get off of him.
3: Well, and it's also an interesting area, too, because it is a college area. It's a college town. So then things get ramped up. I had a buddy that was walking home from a bar, ends up getting jumped by four guys for no reason. They didn't like talk trash to him, they just got out of the car and fight was on and he lost uh, all his front teeth. Um we also had a friend that I went to high school with that was leaving work, crossing a street, almost hit by a car, just kind of says, Hey guys, what the hell are you doing? Those guys turned back around and shot the guy to death. And that was on eleventh Avenue, which if you look at Google Maps, eleventh Avenue and It's pretty it's close, very right? Close. Yeah, And this is, uh, within a few years of that shooting. Mm-hmm. So there's those possibilities. Did something like that happen? And then they shoot the guy and put him in a car and drive off and never to be seen again, because this is a lot of people that are in their early twenties, not drinking experts, going out to these bars, drinking, and then doing stupid shit afterwards no gunshots heard. And, uh, you know, it,
4: it wouldn't have the murder weapon. If that's what happened, couldn't have been a knife either. There wasn't any blood on the street,
3: certainly not in the bar or anything like that. Well, it's such a big area and it's so high. It's so heavily populated that I think even if there was blood on the street, nobody would, it wouldn't throw up any red flags. You know what I mean? Because there's hundreds of thousands of people up on campus every week, drinking and partying and there's probably puke on every street and there's probably puke and piss between yeah behind every uh alleyway but not blood possibly blood i'm just saying that you're those- saying
0: that you're i think what you're saying is that it could go unnoticed
3: right is what i'm saying
0: it potentially could go unnoticed the other thing too is if he's not doing a straight shot walking along the roads or sidewalks if you're going to do a straight shot, you're cutting through some areas to get from that bar to his apartment. And I mean, it could be as simple as someone follows him into a dark a dark area where he's alone and and, and very much so just wants his wallet. You know, here you see a preppy looking drunk guy walking in the middle of the night by himself. That's an easy target to me.
3: Well, and I hate to bring up the psychic kids, but You know, Psychic Kids did a episode on the Schaefer case and one of the kids were was picking up this vibe that Brian was being watched by somebody that was on the balcony of the bar. So if you're out on the balcony, you could see into the club. But like I said, any corner of the club you're at, you'd be able to see everybody. And was Brian a little drunk confident? and being the good time guy and flirting with girls. And was there some pissed off guy going, man, this guy's talking to all these girls and, you or know.
0: he talked to my girl,
3: right. Or right. And then you go, I got an issue with this guy or, you know, the guy that's too shy to talk to girls. And he sees this guy and he's angry with him. Uh, cause I do find, we were kind of talking earlier, like, I find the psychic conversations interesting. I don't hold a lot of weight to them, but in the conversation with those psychic kids, they claim that they felt that Brian was at the bar at one point left and came back. And we know that to be true. And that information wasn't out there to the public that, that often. So the fact that they picked up on that, I thought was interesting.
1: I would have a much easier time swallowing the scenario that somebody saw him flirting with all the girls or flirting with his particular girlfriend, this like mystery person. Right. If there was a a body or some blood or something, people – and maybe I'm totally wrong about this. this. This is even relatable to anyone who would have picked him up, dragged him into a car to mug him. Like I – Am I wrong in thinking that most people just wouldn't know how to dispose of a body so cleanly? You no, you're not wrong. I mean, so you're you're now talking about someone who's got the capability to spontaneously kill and also the wherewithal to cover it up so so perfectly.
0: My original thought would have been that if let's say a group of thugs ended up shooting him for some reason or killing him yep. as a result of a robbery having gone bad that the quick, easy disposal would be to somehow hoist him up into one of those dumpsters. The tricky thing with that is we do know the family was searching dumpsters in that area as early as Sunday night, Sunday evening.
3: And they did a grid search on the local landfill. Right, but which the- is
0: something I don't think we were totally aware of or or knew the details of when we covered it back in 2016. But the... Uh, the difficult thing with that is you have to wonder c- could any of those dumpsters been emptied on Saturday or Sunday before the search was before they were actively searching for him one two there was as captain points out, there was that grid search at the landfill that that did occur, and I can't remember if it occurred the Thursday or Friday after he went missing or if it was the following week, but it was relatively soon.
3: Well, again, what's difficult about this too is it's it's a very it's a condensed area, but there's a lot of dumpsters. There's yes. a, there's, there, a dumpster there's a dumpster around every corner.
0: Yes. That's uh, why that was kind of my go-to.
3: But but the but the thing is for if Brian let's say got out of the bar and walked 15 minutes north, he, he there wouldn't be enough people to check all those dumpsters around that area during the search.
1: Was there any uh, result of, did we talk about like, uh, search dogs, cadaver dogs? Did they, Yeah, did they, were they do, at the landfill? Yeah. Did they do any searches with dogs in the bar? They did outside of the bar
0: regarding the landfill search, other than it being a, a grid search that was conducted by law enforcement with the city's help. I don't know much about it other than that, it, and that it occurred relatively soon after he went missing okay it might
4: be pretty tough for cadaver dogs to work uh, in a dump uh, location anyway Mm
1: -hmm. and there was video footage of the uh, parking garage right Yeah. okay because my head immediately went to well he he probably tried to walk back to Clint and Meredith's vehicle in the parking garage. And then maybe you had somebody pick him up in the parking garage and, and take off with him for some reason. But if there's no account video account of him entering the garage, then I guess that checks that one off the well, list.
3: What bothers me, and maybe this is going to come off very, very arrogant, but to me, the cops are saying we check this and we check this footage and we check the back uh, exit footage. To me, it's, I didn't check the footage so i don't know it was it, how well it was checked
1: yeah that's and very it, true i mean some somebody missed something somewhere because he's not in the building anymore
3: well and i just don't understand why you can't say if if you've looked at the footage from the garage the footage from the escalator the footage from the the back hallway why not release that to the public other than what tim was saying is that the other patrons of that night to protect them. But it's like, Oh, who cares? You know? And, and the footage is not like the clearest footage in the world anyways.
1: Well, when you walk into a place that has video surveillance, you walk by a sign that says you're subject to being right to, to being, uh, your, your likeness is being taped.
3: I really think because the, the main detective retired, I believe in January on this case, and there's a new detective on the case now. And, I wish the first thing they did was to compile this footage and either put it on a website or to release it onto YouTube for people to analyze.
4: Oh, I have a uh, kind of a random question. I haven't seen anything about any drug use for Brian, and I don't want to attach a stigma um, because we know that can happen in missing person cases, but... Was he, did he ever dabble in like some kind of upper or speed in order to study? I did see somewhere that he stayed up uh, all night at times studying. And I know that's kind of common.
1: And Adderall was big back then.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. And, and, well, pills in general during that time were, were pretty big. So was he taking Adderall and instead of just taking it, was he sniffing it? Was he... Was he a coke usage? I have not heard any rumors about this. I know he went through a period where he was uh, a little more um, living the hippie lifestyle, and so uh, smoking pot. But I wouldn't put put it past somebody that is in school to be a doctor and. And spending long nights studying and, and long shifts and, and everything else he had going on yeah, to, to use a upper. I wouldn't put it past him, but I, I don't know if there's any evidence of that or I also, even rumors of it.
4: I also just want to point out that he was grieving still. His mom had died three weeks before. So that is definitely a period of time in a person's life where they're not really thinking clearly, probably not even really remembering uh, too much of that time.
1: So, in that in that scenario, he's grieving. He's got the pressures of school. He's got the pressures of uh, being financially um, in debt. He's got his maybe his girlfriend that he's feeling pressure to marry. And in that moment, he's drank just enough to say "fuck it, I'm done. I'm walking out of here," and he chooses to walk away from his life at at two in the morning, without any indication, and. And, and after he's being l-
3: wait, and he's the luckiest man in the world. Yeah, that chose to leave a bar to leave his life. And by the way, there's no footage of him leaving the bar.
1: I mean, unless he like beautifully orchestrated this elaborate scenario to pretend to be that intoxicated. Analyzed all of the cameras in the neighborhood, so Bought he knew plane ticket. Bought the plane ticket to Florida to fool everybody that he was going to Florida. The voicemail to his
4: girlfriend. Yep. Right. That,
1: so that's all playing into his hand. He he probably scouted out the area to say, I, I can't walk down that street or that street because of these security cameras. But I know that I can walk past the construction site because there's no security cameras. And then he yeah gets into a boat on the little river and paddles away. I mean, so even him running away
3: doesn't make any sense. Here's what's tough about some of these cases. I mean, even look at like the Mara case. One of the things that you, you go, did, did he, did Brian Schaefer analyze all this stuff? One, was he the most lucky guy that decided to go missing on his own accord ever? Or did he plan any of this? And it seems so far fetched, but then you come back to the idea of, well, This guy was intelligent. I mean, he was clever. So is it possible? Yes, I think it's highly unlikely. And same way with, like, the Mara case. Was she clever enough to do that? Possibly. It just seems so highly unlikely that you would decide to, as you're drinking and hitting on girls, to be like, eh, this life is too much. I'm going to go away and move to a, you know, some community and and uh, meditate all day long.
4: Yeah, it seems very unlikely, and really the the surveillance video is is the part that makes it seem the most unlikely to me. Because again, I he he would have had to have accidentally been not seen on those surveillance videos. There's no way for him to have known what the frame was on all those cameras throughout that walk home or in the in that building.
3: Right, but I think again, I this contradicts the the police but i think it goes back to the security guards telling me how unbelievably easy it would be to leave the building and not be seen and if you base everything off of what they're saying then he just left and went home we we don't if he let's say he got home he didn't get jumped no robbery he gets home he wakes up the next day and says yeah, now I'm going to go missing. The difficult thing there is we have no activity with the ATM, and we have no movement of his car,
1: and nothing's ever been touched as far as his bank account, any credit card activity. Correct. Okay.
3: So, well, and so that would
1: mean that if he if he managed to get home and and he slept and woke up, and the next morning he said, "Well, this is going to be the day," he would have had to have planned for months before to get a new credit card probably under a different name. Right. Because if he's that smart to disappear, then he's going to know that he has to come up with a new identity or he had all of those pieces in place. Was there any search of a computer? Did he ever have any searches on, on things like this on how to fake your identity or, uh, the police did take his
0: computer at some point. Um, I don't know what was learned from,
3: I don't think there was ever a report that I heard. that I'm aware of. Do you know
0: being of anything of concern being on his computer? Right. Yeah. I, I have not heard that either. And we do know that the police had his computer and I believe they held it for quite some time and eventually released it to Brian's father. And I think the family still has, even though his father has passed, the family still has that computer, but it seems to me like if there was anything interesting or of interest to the police on there, they may not have released it. Um, the thing though, too, that's weird. And, and, captain, you really hit on something in the sense of, of one thing. If, if he, if he chose to walk away, be it, if it were on purpose that it worked out this way or just on by happenstance, it's kind of a, it's a very theatrical departure. one, Two, it would make him the luckiest man to disappear, not being picked up on camera. But if if we could go the opposite direction and say he met with foul play somehow, well, now we have the luckiest killer, the luckiest criminals, right? Yeah. The luckiest criminal because now we don't have anything pointing police in their direction, right? And we certainly don't have the public being pointed in any direction because you you if you pull if you pull the public half of them were going to question
1: the, the building and if he ever left the building to begin with. We had a really interesting conversation last night where we ranked... We did? Yeah, a, a couple interesting <laughs> conversations. But we said, what's what's more likely with the cases that we have been looking at, like Brandon Lawson, Brian Schaefer, Moore Murray, and Brianna Maitland, which one of those has more of a criminal activity element to it or strikes you as having the highest percentage of foul play? Right, mm-hmm. which I think is a great, great experiment because if if you're if we're going to do this, I'm Brianna Maitlands would stand out as so obviously r- related to foul play mm-hmm. just due to where her car was found and how her car was found. But on the on the contrary, you could say that that might look like the the highest percentage of a runaway, and she's just staging the car to look like that. Mm-hmm. So. I was just thinking about like how frustrating this case is because it didn't happen in an area like Mora or Brianna or Brandon Lawson. Those are isolated, single-person incidents.
3: Yeah, almost in the middle of nowhere.
1: Almost in the middle of nowhere.
3: And this is in the middle of everywhere.
1: In front of a, a crowded bar. In right. the middle of a crowded bar and security Cameras and there were two police officers there, right? Mm-hmm. Outside of the bar in the mm-hmm. building, but outside the bar mm-hmm. or yeah. security people.
3: Well, no, there were police officers. There were actually police officers. O- okay. A whole security team that surrounds that whole area. So here's a little piece of information that has not um, been released to the public that often. This breaking news. So the situation where when he goes to eat with his father that day. That that wasn't some, hey, let's just get together for lunch. That was kind of to get together to see if we're going to be able to keep having a relationship. So that to me is a little strange. And then the fact that he was also supposed to hang out with his brother that night. Now, his brother does have an alibi. They went to the Funny Bone and with his girlfriend, people saw them there. And then afterwards, they were supposed to meet up with Brian and they never did. And then they said, okay, well, we're going to go to a bar. I believe it's in Pickerington, and they have a bar there. They have a couple drinks there, and some people see them there. So that's kind of their alibi, but we were talking a little bit earlier. There was money that was going to come to Brian, his father and his brother, from his mother's death. Not a lot of money, but I still think that has to be put on the table and that's part of the conversation that has never been. But he didn't get the money, right? No, he never received the money because he went missing.
0: But without Brian, the other two remaining family members now receive a larger sum because they're splitting they're right. splitting that sum three ways.
4: Do we know how much?
0: I the way that I've heard it reported is that it would have been approximately between $20 to $30,000 that Brian would have received. So Carrying that a step further, assuming that it was an even split, right? Um, it, we're talking about you know eighty to a hundred thousand dollars that they would be splitting. Now, who knows? Maybe the father was going to receive a larger portion. That's not uncommon. But the 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 tricky thing with with this with the events of that day is you can really kind of look at them in a, in, under two different lights. So, one, the having a steak dinner with your father, planning to have your brother meet up with you afterwards, after he goes out to the funny bone with, with his girlfriend or, or friends or whomever, calling your girlfriend, leaving a very nice voicemail, hanging out with one of your quote-unquote, we'll use quotes there, because depending on who you talk to, the, the relationship between Clint and... And Brian varies, but, but under this scenario though, under this scenario, you look at it two ways. Some people have suggested, is that him making an effort to have a, a final goodbye with the ones that are still close to him? Right. And then there's other people that say, well, could the answer to why Brian is no longer with
1: us be within that circle within that network? So you said that he went to dinner with his father and in in Reynoldsburg, and that was them having sort of a come to terms moment of, in regards to their relationship. Did they have a rocky relationship?
3: Well, it seems like they had a decent relationship, but why his mother was sick. I think it came out that his father was seeing somebody and it's not clear if his mom knew about that. There's, I've heard of several cases where somebody gets sick and they become terminal, and they actually push their spouse or significant other to find a companion. Yeah, not the most unusual thing. So that's a possibility, but the, so the speculation is that this really upset Brian, and,
1: and, and the and money that they were getting through the mother's death was actually awarded to, or not awarded, but was granted to the remaining siblings and and the father. Right. Okay. So, so how much would it take for a family to plan to off Well, I a don't son know that anybody's
0: saying that's the suspicion. I think oh, no, but I think it, I
3: think it needs to be on the table or at least discussed. I mean, if you're investigating a case like this, you have to go every nook and cranny.
1: So, one thing that would stand out to me if we're like actually investigating it is his brother and girlfriend have alibis. And they planned to meet him later on and they didn't meet him later on. That's that's correct, right? Right. Okay. so you could have a scenario where they've hired somebody to do something to him and they knew that they weren't going to meet him later on.
0: The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. while your subscription is active.
3: Yeah, and then I think the other step in this equation that I just think should be discussed and put on the table that gets often left out is... What, two years later, the father dies in a very mysterious way?
1: An incredibly tragic, bizarre accident involving a a tree branch falling, coming, ripping, being ripped off the tree in a windstorm, right? Right. And, And hitting him and killing him.
3: And so then, now what is left? Because the family is this simple mother, father, two sons. So now you have the moms died. The one son's missing, then the father dies mysterious, and now you're left with one son. And so he's, he in turn inherits everything. So maybe the little bit of money that he's going to get from his mother is not that much, but you combine the whole, the total that that's been uh, a motive in a lot of cases.
1: So thinking about, Brian knowing that he was going to get something from his mother's death even further makes me think that he didn't run away. Right? Mm-hmm. Might as well, might as well stay, mm-hmm. get some money that'll give me a little relief. Yeah, it's not life changing money, but it could be for him for someone that that old. You know, I can I can start paying back some of my student loans. Even twenty thirty thousand dollars that's a pretty significant amount of money, especially for someone that young. A
3: lot of those medical loans too will be forgiven because they'll go they can work in hospitals in certain areas yeah. where the, the, you know parts of their loan are forgiven so. and if he
1: planned to run away why not he why wouldn't he wait for the money and then run away because he had money well
0: and what a i mean what a very nice gesture and what a very nice nod to the legacy of your mother to finish school right yeah We, we, she wanted him to, Mm -hmm. she, you know, she was very proud of, of Brian.
4: But on the flip side of that, um, there could be some relief, um, if he really didn't want to become a doctor, his mom, his father wanted him to do it more than he did. His mom passes away. Maybe that's a burden off of his shoulders as far as school
3: goes. Right.
0: The very tricky thing, and we were talking about drugs or, and, and substance Wait, hold on. Let let,
3: let me stay on this one point real quick, because so like you were saying to, to meet up with your father, to meet up with your brother, to meet up with a friend that you're haven't seen in a while. Is this a sign of reconnecting to move your life forward after your mom passed away? Or is this, like you said, a sign of goodbye? Does anybody have a feeling of it leaning towards one way or the other?
1: No, nah, I don't. I don't see that as being something a, a sign of a goodbye for someone that smart. If he was going to run away this successfully and not a trace, just feels like he would want to make the day he runs away be as average as any other day.
3: Right, and I I think the same thing too. And the speculation that he's trying to reconnect with his father some people could say well he's trying to reconnect with his father before he leaves but it's like wouldn't it be that the mo- wouldn't that be part of the motivation for you leaving
1: in the first place right right so
3: right. to me it's it's a it, it makes it become a lot more odd that he goes missing on that day because it seems like he was trying to reconnect to me
1: and wouldn't it make it more difficult if you're visiting with all of the people that you care about and then you try to reconnect with your father who you know, you're it's the relationship is becoming sort of estranged. Right. And then you're, you're connecting with these people that care about you. You care about them. You're trying to get back in good graces with your father. Wouldn't that just almost make it impossible for you to leave? I mean, you're trying to make your life better. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think that there's very good cause for people to believe that this possibly could be, the final goodbye and what, what really sets the table for one to believe that this is a perfect storm because what we have here is the known facts are we know he's leaving for vacation on Monday morning. What is the closest person to him doing? His girlfriend visiting with her family before they leave to go on this spring break trip. What is Brian doing visiting with his father Wants to hang out with his brother. His brother says that look, we we may have drifted apart in our teenage years and early twenties, but but we got closer as mom got more sick. We got even closer after she passed. His words are: "It was almost as if Brian was trying to get tighter with me to help me through this tragic event that occurred in our lives." So we have a situation where it may be what some perceive it to be. It may be a goodbye. And some look at it as a final goodbye. I think it looks so much that way because it's a temporary
1: goodbye. Because he is planning to leave. He's planning to leave for right. a week. Yep.
0: And look, I've I've been stressed out. I'm trying to get through school. I, got, I mean, it's not easy to be a doctor. Right. What if he was... <laughs> so
1: I'm told. What if he was planning on proposing to his girlfriend during that trip and he wanted to make sure that things were good with him, his family... Because there's going to be a wedding soon, mm-hmm. and he wants to make sure that you know we have a good a good
3: wedding, and we have a good a good showing at the wedding with with the family, right? And one would argue, then we have evidence of him hitting on these girls. But I would say, look, that could be more due to the alcohol. Yeah, yeah I, I sure. would say so. Yeah, no. Cause there and there's just also some guys, and you guys would know this. I mean, sometimes when you're hanging out with guys that even are in relationships the start of the evening is fine. And then after a certain point, after their fifth beer or after the sixth beer, they're like, let's go find girls. And you're like, uh, you're married or you have a girlfriend. Like what, what, how's this coming over you now? It's almost like they couldn't handle their liquor. They're not experts like the Colonel. Some guys just like to, uh, flirt, I think though, and not take it further. Right. Right. And that, you know, and it could have been as, as simple as him giving them their number and just thinking, I still got it. Yes. I won't answer the phone when they call me, but I still got it.
1: Have you guys ever heard the story of Christopher Knight, the hermit in Maine? No. So this man, he was early 20s. I want to say 20 or 21. He just out of the blue one day thought, I can't live in this world. Mm-hmm. This this type of world is not for me. Mm-hmm. So it's the middle of Maine and he drives his car down a, down a back road and drives it as far into the woods as as he can before he can't go any further. Right. And then he gets out, walks into the woods and he lives there for 27 years. And he he builds his little uh area in between boulders. Was he stealing food from was, the neighboring houses? That's how he was caught. He was yeah, stealing no. food from yeah, the ca- from the cabins that. and then there was a um sort of like a recreation uh almost like a camp. Mm -hmm. that uh, would get these shipments of food right before their season would start. So Mm -hmm. he knew how to break into that place and that's how he was caught. After 27 years, his family provided for themselves, like they lived sort of off the grid. Mm -hmm. They were very smart. They were very smart uh, with agriculture and all of the people, like, you know, it's the middle of Maine, so there was hardly any neighbors, but anybody who knew them knew, well, they keep to themselves and they're nice enough, but we know that they're, they, they they want to be off the grid.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: When the when the press and law enforcement questioned them about uh, Christopher, about their son, they they said, "Well, you've never filed a missing person report," and they said, "No, we just figured that he just wandered off, that he just w- didn't want to, you know, he just went away. Right? We didn't think that he was like there was any danger." And you know, and then you look at Brian. I keep thinking of Christopher Knight. And how no one really thought that he would, ju- he didn't think that he would go do it. He didn't, mm-hmm. he, he just got overwhelmed at that moment and was like, this world's not for me. And he just wandered into the woods and that's where his world was. And he was much more comfortable in there. Mm-hmm. Is that, is that a possibility with Brian that he was just like, you know, it's not for me. And then he miraculously walks down away from the bar not around any surveillance videos and that's that just happens to be something. Yeah. That
3: yeah, he just locked out right there. Well that's the conversation or the speculation and it's a leap. And I know it's a leap. But here's this guy with a pearl jam tattoo. Okay. Around this time, you would have known that they're working on the movie Into the Wild. Okay, yeah. You have the book. It's about Alexander Supertramp that basically disappeared from his family and went to live in Alaska. And so the idea was, and then Eddie Vedder was going to be doing the soundtrack for it. So there's a there was some speculation. Again, it's this huge leap that you'd have to just assume that he knew that Eddie was doing this. And then he got wrapped up into this book and just went, okay, I'll just take it off and we we've ha we have seen this happen. I mean there was they made a movie about it, you know, so but to me, that's a pretty big leap, but that
0: guy was found, right? Yeah, he ate something poisonous, yeah, and he was and, found and by and died, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah,, yeah, but a lot of them are not found because yeah. they die in the wilderness, and then animals get to their body so in that circumstance, did Brian hitchhike somewhere? He didn't take his guitar like he didn't take
0: yeah so when they when they went to his apartment there was nothing that the family or law enforcement perceived to be missing from the apartment or from his car strangely enough though someone broke into that apartment what was it weeks later 4 or 5 weeks later right and they, the police said that by that time they had removed there were still items in the apartment at that time, but they had removed things of value or of interest to the investigation. And they've never caught the person or or know who it was. And so a lot of people speculate, well, that might have been Brian returning. The thing is, police have, have were very quick to say, one, the locks were not changed. So if he still had his keys, he wouldn't have had to break into his own apartment. Right. Two, they firmly believe that it was just uh, an opportunist, someone that, that that saw on the news, read in the newspaper that this guy is missing, nobody knows where he is, and decided to bust in and see if there was anything worth taking. Did they publicize his address? I don't know that they publicized his address, but, but the... I bu- they probably did would be my guess. Because- I don't think
3: they said the address, but I, I believe they said King Avenue. Mm-hmm. I like, could oh, probably live six out. blocks away from, on King Avenue. Mm-hmm. But here, here's the other thing, though. Too, then you can lean on the idea of, well, of course, if I if I'm going to go missing, but all oh, shit, I got to go back to my apartment and get a couple things. Why wouldn't I break in? Right, because you don't want to show investigators that you still have
4: your keys. I wonder if they they fingerprinted the door where it was broken into, and maybe that's why police think that Brian is still out there somewhere alive.
3: Yeah, so that's the weird—and that again, that's all speculation, but from people that I've talked to— and I, I don't want to put words into Nicholas West's mouth. He was uh, a guy investigating this case— but he has always kind of felt that law enforcement believes he's still, that Brian Schaefer's still alive.
4: Yeah. It does seem to, uh, to lead that way in my research as well, that, that police do feel that way.
0: I do want to point out something though, too. I see that it can be easy for someone to go, well, we're going to get this lump sum of money amongst these individuals. Brian disappears two and a half years later. The father dies. I, I can see how s- some people can say on the surface that looks a little strange and a little fishy. But I think we should point out where you could call the death of Randy Schaefer mysterious or not normal or whatever, whatever words you want to use. We should point out that in that very same windstorm, there were five other people. There were five other fatalities. So it's not like this is a a very unique situation.
3: No, I understand that. I just think if you look at this case as a whole, you have to put that on the table. doesn't mean that you can't eliminate that eventually. I just think it has to be on the table initially. The, the other thing that th- this has not been talked about in the public size is let's look at the players of that night. So we have Brian. He eats with his father. Now we got Brian and his father. He's supposed to meet up with his brother, his brother's girlfriend. So that's a player in the story. You have his buddy Clint and Meredith they go to the bar with. Then, of course you have everybody in the bar, but we don't know them. Let's just focus on the two girls that he talked to at the bar. So we have a total of seven players, roughly. And one of the things that they haven't been they haven't talked about and in, in the public is in Brian's program, there was other people from Brian's program at Ohio State University that were in that bar that night. And we know that that the cops talked to Clint. And we know they talked to Meredith. And they we don't know what the answers that they gave, but we know whether or not cops believe them to be telling the truth or not. But you have a group of other students he went to school with that were at the bar that night that he went missing. And they have never been talked about and we're going on how many years. So I'd really like to know who they were. Were they questioned? Were they cleared?
1: Reading in an article that everyone who saw Brian that night was given a lie detector test except for Clint. Clint. Who didn't who who refused it? So that would be the two girls that he talked to and got the phone number. I would assume members of the band were given lie detector tests. Is that for real? Like everybody that no, saw I Brian that-,
0: that night? I don't think the band was so in regards to when they say everyone that that saw Brian that night, they're prob they're probably meaning everyone that had
1: like an interaction, with
0: interaction, him? Uh, or a lengthy interaction with him. The, the, what I was able to find was that the two ladies that he spoke with were, can they did lie detector tests. Okay. Um, I believe his father, Randy, and, Meredith. Uh, Meredith. But not Clint.
1: But not, well, Clint was asked.
4: His attorney.
1: And he, and he uh, advised him not to. He had already given, um, he, he was cooperating. Got, he was cooperating, but he he had already uh, got a, got an attorney. Mm-hmm. Well, how, here and how soon? Well, well, and
0: he he yeah. So the attorney advised him not to to do the lie detector, which is perfectly fair because I, I don't know. It's not going to if if they don't consider him a suspect at that point. It's not going to, you know, not make him less of a suspect. I guess
3: right, but. And I want to give credit to Nicholas West for really hitting this home because he talked with the family members because he thought it was strange that here you have a guy, Clint, that is cooperating with the police and showing up to searches and then all of a sudden stops conversation with the family and basically lawyers up and says, leave me alone. Well, coming from the uncle's, They were saying that during the search that Clint was there, after he's already talked to police officers, that Randy, Brian's father, was loud and adamant and rude towards Clint. Basically, his feeling was that Clint knew more than he was saying. But he was being so vocal about it in a public forum that I think Clint probably went back to his parents and said, this is what happened. And his parents probably said, you need to lawyer up. And I think that's not out of bounds, right?
1: Mm-hmm. No, not at all. And I don't know what I would do if I was in that circumstance and someone were to ask me to take a lie detector test because what if mm-hmm. my heart's beating a little too fast, I'm nervous, and it's inconclusive? It doesn't matter if it's inconclusive. People people look at inconclusive almost as they'll look at you failed. Mm-hmm.
4: But if you say no,
3: that stigma's attached too. Yeah, but mind you.
1: But you can never say that it... Failed,
3: right, right, but mind you that he he did interviews with the police, and yeah. still to this day, you can submit questions to his lawyer, and the, and they would answer some of them, I guess.
0: Well, well, and to clear something up, I may have said something that is not correct. So, do you want to point that? Well, out? I
3: don't know if it's the the article or
1: or uh, or not, but um, we should mention it. Though. Yeah, th- so we're not sure. This article says the two women Brian was seen talking to. Were identified in two thousand and nine and claimed that they had never been asked to take the test. Okay,
0: yeah, we should put, we throw that out there just so to be clear. Yeah, um, it's, it's a possibility that the, either they were never asked to take a test or the the test was conducted after the the uh, you know after that article was written. But really
4: hard to believe that uh, those two women did something to Brian.
0: Right. But here's what we And that might be the reason for not asking them to submit to a lie detector test. Because you you have video footage of them leaving and maybe you have people to to vouch for their whereabouts and their actions after leaving the bar. The question that speaking of leaving the bar, the, the big question I have is what were the intentions of Clint, Meredith, and Brian after leaving the bar? I mean, is it as simple as we were going to drop him off at his house? We drugs, were, we, drugs and orgy. We were all going to go back to Clint's place. We were all going to meet up with some other people. What What was the on the itinerary for after the Ugly Tuna?
3: Well, well, here's what we do know. We do know that Clint, uh, I believe, was a TA, and he was watching one of his professor's condos that night. Okay. And so we have uh, him and Meredith leaving the parking garage and then going to the— this condo complex where you'd have to enter in a code Mm -hmm. well if you look at when they left the parking garage and when they entered the code and you roughly figure out how fast they were driving and traffic and all that stuff it makes sense like they didn't stop anywhere to get there and then they spent the night at that condo woke up in the next day and drove Meredith back to Brian's place to get a vehicle but what but back to the lie detector Yes, Clint didn't take a lie detector, but Meredith did, mm-hmm. and Meredith was with Clint the whole time. So, you know what I mean? Like, if he, did he just slip out into the bathroom and 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 kill him and then put him in his pocket and then leave? And she just didn't see anything. I mean, I think the fact that she took a lie detector clears Clint clears up a both lot, of them.
1: You know you what? Know? And that could have been uh, something that the lawyer told him. Like, right. don't like she, she, she's already taken, she's taken it. If you guys are in the clear, don't even, don't even it introduce can only the possibility. You. It can right.
0: only hurt you. Well, right. and
3: let's go back to this idea too. And I, I don't know, this is a lot of hearsay, right? But the idea is that Clint and Meredith were at the teacher's condo. The next day they go back to Brian's house. Now their story is basically, we just picked up, the other vehicle and we left and went our separate ways. The story for many years was that both of them went into Brian's apartment and were at Brian's apartment for about six hours the next day. Yeah. Okay. Those are two way different stories. Well, we did, we didn't go into his apartment. We just picked up the car and we both went our separate ways and they both met up. They met each other back up that night. So Clint and Meredith hung out again that night. But the way it's been told by Randy and some other people is, no, they actually went into Brian's apartment and they were in his apartment for six hours or so. And I think those are, you know, like I said, completely different stories. And I think some of the problem, and I don't put, like, blame or anything, but I think some of the problem is, like, Randy didn't want to admit to the public that his son was drunk that night, like very intoxicated that night. And and I think he was looking to point the finger at a lot of people. And I think he was also trying to create super, you know, fake narratives, not in a bad way just because he cared about his son and, and maybe also cared about their reputation as their family. Is it possible
1: and— it's going to sound like a joke at first. Is it possible that Brian, knowing that it was April fool's day, walked away and hid somewhere to play a joke, thinking that he would just be gone for a little bit and got himself into a bad physical situation. Maybe he was ducking into something and I'm going to, I'm going to hide out and make it seem, you know, I'll pull this sort of prank on my friends. Right. And, You know, sort of like uh, Elisa Lamb being found in the the water tank.
3: Well, no, because I've always wondered this, too. Like, you know, he was just at a funeral for his mother. Comes up with the idea of, well, who would go to my funeral? You know, so, again, it's April Fool's. Let me go missing for 24 hours and just see what kind of buzz it gets. You know, I know people that have thought about that
1: before. I've thought about that before. It's it's really not the most far fetched idea, especially when you're under the influence of heavy drinking. I didn't even think about him coming back from his mom's funeral, and then thinking, "I wonder what it would be like for people to miss me. I wonder mm-hmm. what that would feel like." Mm-hmm. Can we talk a little bit more about the water, the uh, the the river?
0: In
4: that area, how deep was that? Uh, was the water flow? Would you like to pronounce that? Do you
0: I, I would
3: not like to. Oh, no, no, they, Pickerington. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, isn't the Scioto by there? Yes.
0: Well, they they intersect at some point. Yeah,
3: yeah, they intersect a
4: little further south. I think. Yeah. From where he was, but uh, yeah, I guess. So, so what about the the river that was closest to him?
0: So regarding that this was this was searched and per the family and per someone that worked close with the family and uh searchers and law enforcement the the reports that that I've seen state that the water was searched extensively to the point where I think it's his uncle that's on record saying he's not in the water he never was in the water right and and he's saying that i believe again i believe it's the uncle he's whoever said that it's because they were they were part of this these searches and even recall stories of being physically in the water himself they weren't just they weren't just eyeballing this they were down in the water actively searching and so the, so the searchers say that at the time of the searches the water was roughly two to three feet deep. Now, of course, there there is going to be pockets that might be slightly deeper than that and some that will be more shallow. But uh, the general consensus is that it was about two to three feet deep at that time. OK,
4: so that's enough to drown in, but not necessarily enough to be concealed in mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. How far away is Lake Erie if you were to drive there? Um, I don't,
0: I, I don't know how science works, but I don't, I don't think if either of those
1: rivers lead there. I oh no, I was thinking if someone picked him up. And oh, then and disposed- took him to Lake Erie. yeah, yeah,
0: yeah.
3: Two, uh, two and a half. and a half. Science, works. right?
0: Um, two and a half Lake, hours. Two and a half hours, roughly. Yeah. So, we we also presented this case to a retired detective when we first covered it back in 2016, and his his main thought was, and it was kind of just like a knee jerk reaction. Mm -hmm. But when we, when we shot out the idea of maybe is the body of water involved, he said his uh, immediately didn't miss a beat. He goes, they would have found him now. And, and I know that that's not 100% all the time, every time, Mm -hmm. but to hear a seasoned retired detective say um, immediately, boom, they would have found him. If he was in water, they would have found him. Okay. And, unfortunately we lived through that same scenario when Joey LeBute went missing and his body surfaced or was found approximately 30 or, or so days after he went missing. Um, it, with it being a river, most of the time th- things get snagged in the river and they, they catch and they stay in, in one spot at some point. Um, so it's still a possibility, but it seems like it seems like the people involved in the searches People with a long history in law enforcement all seem to believe that it's not likely. Yeah.
1: What about the train tracks? I'm looking here and there's a, it looks like the a commuter rail or something. There's a train, the transit station. What, 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 well,
0: that's interesting. I've never thought of that. It's there a are pretty trains st- that
1: r- run all through the right. area. I mean, it's, it's a pretty straight shot to the train tracks from the ugly tuna. Freight trains, it, though? Right. Travel on
3: the, that? Yeah. Well, you have the tracks, but an idea that I've always kind of wondered is if they check the Greyhound stations, because there's a Greyhound station downtown, so what was it possible for Brian to just jump on a bus and go somewhere? I've always wondered if they even checked those. Yeah. I would have to imagine they checked the surveillance video.
1: But no uh, activity yeah, but on his <laughs>
3: card, right?
1: Well, and Unless then right. cash on him.
0: as far as financials go, one thing that I think is interesting, and I don't know why I find it to be interesting, but the report from law enforcement is that Brian paid his tab that night with cash. Yeah. And in here, I, I want to do a little speculating on that. I think that there might not be such a such a proof positive way of knowing that information. I think it's more of deducing what what didn't happen to determine that he paid the tab with cash.
4: Okay, right. so there's a chance that he didn't
3: pay at all and when Well, Clint could of, have Well, no. So, so Meredith could have paid it.
0: Well, but here's where I want to go with that. They would have asked Clint that. They would have asked Meredith that. Right. Their their statement is Brian paid the ta- his tab with cash. Hmm. So, where I think they arrive to that might be more of an assumption rather than proof positive. His father is on record saying Brian never carried cash. He paid with everything for a credit card or a debit card.
3: And, but that's, what's so confusing with this case is you hear one thing and then it's almost like it's always contradicted by his father. And that's just strange.
0: To me. Well, I, I think part of that is that we have a father that likely believes his son was met with foul play. And, and he wants to point out anything that doesn't seem right to him. Now, right. having worked in several bars, typically what would go down is it's very easy obviously to to trace the credit card debit card transactions so we know he didn't pay with a credit card or debit card regardless of what anyone says now regarding paying the the tab with cash that night that's very difficult to prove that he physically paid his tab with cash most of the time it's not going to ring up under his name, it could be, he could have been listed as anything. He could have been paying as he went, paying as he went, which yeah. is most likely, yeah, I you, believe. If you're paying in cash, you're paying as you go. Right. And typically, if there are unpaid tabs, every establishment that I've worked at, there's a logbook, and any incident goes in the logbook. And an unpaid tab is an incident. And you have a corresponding credit
1: card. Correct. Um, by the way, I was on the Bing machine again. Yes. And I followed the train tracks and found a freight train on the train track. So yes, that was a that, that is a train track that carries uh freight. Okay,
4: so so freight trains move a little slower than commuter trains. Mm-hmm. So that that is something you could actually hop onto uh and and like run faster than in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm.
0: That's an interesting take. Yeah. I don't think anybody's ever presented that before. And if you look at the, where the train tracks are in relationship to the ugly tuna, you could almost put his apartment right in the middle. No of that. way. It yeah. was, it was that direction. Yeah. No I, but, way. I, I, yeah. So it so, it makes it even closer to another known point where he may have been or was attempting to go to. Uh,
3: I want to get to two more things before we wrap this up. First of all, um, You know, there's only one family member left that we can talk to, and that's Derek, Brian's brother. But a lot of people find it odd that he is not so forward with talking with media or podcasters or whoever. But I, I want you to give your thoughts on that, Nick, if you could.
0: I personally don't find it to be strange in this situation. It is 13 years later. And I know that he's kind of always had this stance, right? Uh, or as far back as I could trace. However, it seems that he is willing to communicate, but it seems more to me. I believe the statement that, and maybe I'm reading too much into this, but in regards to his reaction or turning down interviews or anything like that. The vibe I'm getting from Derek is not so much that he won't communicate regarding the case, his brother's missing persons case. It's more so he, it's a very emotional thing for him. And he wishes not to do that on camera or on microphone or to be recorded. Um, And it might just be, it might just be a proud dude. That's like, you know what? I, if, if I talk about this too much, or if I think about this too much, I'm going to get choked up. Right. Maybe I don't want to cry on camera, maybe I don't want to, you know, cry on mic or or whatever. And and he's got to, can you imagine? First of all, let's let's touch it, on this for a second. He lost his mom, dad and brother. In the oh. course of in the course of 3 years. Yeah, It's crazy. It, from 4 to 1 in 3 years. And right. so it's almost a domino effect when you think about the emotions in this man is Maybe it's not so much just he doesn't want to talk about his brother's case, but it also triggers his father's tragic death, his mother losing her right. life to cancer. It's, you can't it's, leave, a, it's a fucking load, man.
3: Right? It's a load. You can't leave those out of the equation when you're looking into this case. Um, but I think, you know, that being said, I, all of us here when we're looking into these cases, we're not trying to be disrespectful to. A victim or the victim's family. We are just simply trying to come to some kind of understanding, which would then help the victim. Listen, then, yeah, you
1: know that that this shit freaks me out. I mean, mm-hmm. you don't have to be hooked on drugs. You don't have to be from a bad neighborhood. You don't have to be poor or wealthy. You don't have to stand out at all. Mm-hmm. You can be a Pearl Jam fan. uh, Someone who's going, you know, in their sixth year of medical school, in a crowded bar, in a crowded bar, and and, in in Ohio, and Mm. and you're you're gone, right? At that, at the very least, I say this because you said we're we're not trying to be disrespectful to the family. At the very least, um, a message you can take from this is just always be aware of your surroundings. Just try to be aware of where you're at, where your friends are at, Mm -hmm, because it can literally happen to anybody anywhere at any time. Mm -hmm. And I think that another
0: interesting thing too, which I, which is the way to handle it. In my opinion, Derek and the Schaefer family have been very consistent with saying they believe that Clint knows more or could offer more assistance. And I applaud them for that because I think he he possibly could even if it's information that he doesn't know that could be important. But I, I applaud them for not accusing him of anything other than right possibly knowing something in addition to what's been provided.
3: I would be very interested in talking with Clint or Derek, and I think it could be done in such or a Meredith. Way that, yeah, or Meredith. Um, okay, so it was great to listen to you guys talk about this case. As you know, I I view you guys as experts of missing person cases because of how long you have dealt with the Mara Murray case. Um, Is there one thing that sticks out with this case that you would like to go down that rabbit hole and spend more time on? That would be the first question. The second question is you have a gut feeling of what you think happened. This we'll start with Tim. Do, okay.
4: do you mean uh, in investigating the case, or do you mean in talking the case out? Do do I want to revisit something?
3: No, I'm I'm just saying, like if if you were investigating this case, if you were us, and you and we we're going to spend more time on this case, is there a, is there something through this conversation or through your research that you'd go? I would. Dive down this hole a little bit more, if you could.
4: Well, I would love to. I would love to check out the roof of the of that building. But I also think the um, that the train tracks, the the freight train, is a pretty good is a pretty good way to
1: have uh, gotten a little further away and just, you know, right. I got to say, this conversation has been super enlightening because a roundtable discussion of a case like this is really important because you you get to hear the other people, the, the other person's opinion. I'm I'm with you the the train tracks. I'm looking at it now. That those that goes up to Canada. That that goes straight up to Canada. Well, and like
3: you said, Tim, I have never heard anybody talk anything about a roof in this case. And I've like I said, I've talked about this case to a thousand people, and nobody's ever said what about the roof. I have to imagine the police uh, searched that though. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm sure they did. I would
1: I would hate but, it if the police are listening to this and they're like, oh yeah, yeah. They, yeah. they never
4: saw the hangover. <laughs> so
1: yeah, but the train tracks. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to look into that. Cause could you imagine that scenario he he is walking back i didn't know that he is walking back it's in the direction of his apartment and he's like i'll just i'll just i'll just you know i'll just duck down right here maybe sit by the train tracks the train chugs along yeah. a couple hours later so
4: check a schedule i guess that if if, if you can track down a schedule i think i think that would be valuable information
0: i know that the 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 family what they've said publicly would disagree with this, but I, where I once believed the most likely simplest scenario was that somehow he made it out of the bar. He was attacked on his way home, placed in a dumpster, ended up in the landfill and they just missed it. I still think that's, that's likely. However, I I'm telling you, man, two years later, I'm sitting here in this chair and looking back into this, this case again, I'm, I'm now completely changed my viewpoint of I, I now actually believe the opposite and believe that more than ever, that that he could still be out there and he could still be alive. And the captain hit on something very interesting that we talked about quite a bit. And, and, and I was, you know, pushed it off the table discussion wise, but I want to circle back to it real quick before we finish up is the, the footage of that back hallway of people leaving. Now, We all agreed that if they believed they had proof of Brian leaving, they would have publicly stated that law, they being law enforcement. And I still stand by that statement. However, I'm curious if there are one or two or however many multiple individuals on that footage that maybe they can't identify. They don't believe them to be Brian for whatever reason, but they have not been identified. Um, I think that's somewhat of a possibility. As the captain pointed out multiple times, security has mentioned there are other ways. There were other ways in and out of that building. Um, I, I think, I think the, the, when we discuss drug use, substance abuse, we discuss behaviors, mental makeup, all that, all that stuff. The, the key thing here to remind ourselves of is it doesn't necessarily matter so much who Brian was, how he was before a month before he disappeared, because his mother dying is a trigger that could have sent someone in any different direction, lifestyle wise and choices wise.
4: Absolutely.
3: Yeah. And I've had friends that were the most talkative person you ever met and a parent passed away and they just became quiet. But I'd really love to, if I could, like in a perfect world, sit down Clint and talk with him, or sit down Derek and talk with him, and not and not even record it, just be on the phone and and ask some questions, and you know if if either one of them hear this and you know would like to even grab a beer, you know just to go. You drink beer? How's your hangover? So, uh, anyways. Uh, we should be getting out of here because you guys got to get back to the airport so you can get back to Boston. Back
0: to Wormtown. Well, and I do want to go on record saying this too. This is one of few cases that we've circled back to that we've looked into for a second or third time. We've talked about it on our other show off the record several times. We very likely will circle back to this one again and again and again. And I want to be very vocal with, with these words saying that we... Want to help in any way, shape, or form if the Schaefer family or friends of Brian need anything, think we can offer anything, our information is is on truecrimegarage.com. We want to help in any shape or form. The other thing that I want to help with is directing um, a lot of the people that tuned in and joined us in the garage today to our very good friends that took time out of their very busy lives to join us in the garage tim and lance tell us briefly again about the podcast about the your projects and where
4: to find you great thank you yeah uh check us out at crawlspace-media.com that's kind of the main landing spot for everything we do we host the missing mora murray podcast you can find that on stitcher on apple podcasts um, we actually also have a uh, sort of a revisiting of the Maura Murray case that we are doing for Stitcher Premium. And we're calling that Creators Commentary. So that's actually us talking over the old episodes and updating uh, with new information and, and making and, fun of and ourselves. And a
1: fair share of self-effacing. It's a really cool project that uh, Stitcher uh, allowed us to do. Um, and we're having a blast putting it together. We're delivering the episodes in batches of 10. So we'll do these marathon sessions where we listen to ourselves from, you know, three years ago, two years ago. And we talk over it. One, like Tim said, we update information. So it's super informative. I mean, if we said something and since the factors or the circumstances, circumstances have changed, then right. we, we update that. So if you're looking for new updated case information, you get the parallel right there. It's, it's a really, really cool project. A really, fortunate to be a part of it
4: yeah and uh, and crawlspace is also available on stitcher apple Podcasts, and everywhere we uh, have the full archive uh on stitcher premium and check out finding more Amari on amazon prime
3: i can speak for the colonel when i say uh, the captain the colonel we had a lot of fun having you come visit us and drink with us and uh i'm sure nick will be paying for it for the next couple days
0: well and we will see you guys at crime con can't wait yep and thanks everybody for joining us this week in the garage we will see you back here in the garage next week until then be good be kind and don't live